Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and happy Valentine's Day to you. That's right, it is Valentine's Day. So all you husbands out there who probably forgot, this is your reminder, right? You still got enough time in the day to go make up and, and get whatever you need to get, right? This is our day to celebrate uh, love for spouses. This is when we celebrate how much we uh, love each other. And I don't know if you had a date last night or maybe you've got a date planned for tonight, but I hope you have a happy uh, Valentine's Day. And since it is Valentine's Day and it is the day for love, I thought it was only appropriate that we open our Bibles today and we talk about, you know, service. Right? We're going to talk about service. Specifically, we're going to talk about prayer and service. Because that's what we've been doing this month in February. We've been looking at prayer and different actions that accompany prayer to make our prayer life even more powerful. Last week, we talked about prayer and fasting, and we encouraged every uh, person at Cross Point Church to commit to 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I don't know uh, what you're fasting from, but I hope you uh, took the challenge, and I hope you're fasting. And if you are fasting, I just want to give you a little bit of encouragement, because right now you're on day seven if you started uh, last Sunday, and you're probably hungry, or you're missing the cell phone, or you're missing scrolling through social media. And I want you to know that that, that discontent, that, that little pain or a little bit of suffering that you might feel from going without things is normal. In Luke chapter 4, verse 2, we see that Jesus goes to the desert where he fasts for 40 days. And for 40 days straight, he was continuously tempted by the devil. And I don't know about you, but whenever I resist temptation, it's not a lot of fun. And there's some pain, there's some suffering, suffering associated with resisting temptation. Sinning, that can be fun, uh, but saying no to sin, that can be tough. And so if you're feeling beaten up, and if you're exhausted, and, and, and you feel like the temptation is being exaggerated, I just want you to know you're in good company, and that resisting temptation is not necessarily fun, but it is important to our spiritual walk with Jesus. So if you're in this fast, and, you, and you're feeling tired, I just want to encourage you to hold fast, stay the course, you can do this, and there will be insights and enlightenment that happen on the other side of these 21 days. So that's enough about prayer and fasting. Uh, let's talk about prayer and service today. That's where we're going, uh, prayer and service. And I got to tell you what, these two actions, when combined, are powerful, in fact, the early church realized just how powerful these two actions were early on, and we're going to look at them because what happens when they realized how powerful these two things were it was the church exploded in growth, and, and the gospel spread everywhere because the church was devoted to prayer and serving. So if you have your Bibles or, or you got your Version app, I would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 6 with me, and we're going to start in verse 1. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. See, like we said, the church is growing at exponential speed at this moment. And what's happening here is we're seeing two cultures collide together. Uh, the message of Jesus' resurrection is spreading, and now Hebrews believe the resurrection, and some Greek-speaking people believe the resurrection. And, and they come together under a commonality that Jesus is king and that Jesus has resurrected, but sometimes old habits die hard. 
And as they come to this food distribution, because what would happen if you go back to Acts chapter 2, we see that all the believers shared all of their resources, money, and food together for any that had need. And so they'd come together, and and the widows would line up to get their distribution, their day's need. And, And the Greeks believed that the Hebrews were treating the Hebrew widows better than the Greek widows. There was some prejudice, a little bit of discrimination uh, going on, and and that can't be in the kingdom of God. And so there's some uh, discontent. There's some rumblings that start to happen. And when the apostles, the leaders of this early Jesus community, hear about this discontent, they act quickly and swiftly and with some really good ideas. Here's what they do. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 2. So the 12, the 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. Verse 6, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. See, the apostles, they see the problem and they respond to the problem. They say, yeah, this isn't right. Everybody should be treated equally. Everybody should get their fair share of the distribution of supplies, resources, money, whatever it was. And so they say, we're going to take care of this. And I don't know how much you know of the early church, but widows were incredibly important to the early church. In fact, if you go to one of the first letters written in the New Testament, it's called the book of James. It was written by the brother of Jesus. He says that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. From the beginning of the church, widows were important. Widows were supposed to be served by Christians. That's the way that Jesus taught us to care for people. We look out for those who don't have all of the, the necessary resources that you might need in life. And so when they hear this this discontent, this rumbling, they say immediately, okay, there's no room for prejudice, and widows are going to be taken care of no matter what. We have to take care of this. And so what do they do? They do some pretty good delegation. Understand, the apostles are living with urgency. Uh, Not long ago, their life had changed when their leader resurrected from their grave, and they were sent out to tell everyone they knew uh, that Jesus had resurrected from the grave. They're going from city to city, town to town, country to country. They're traveling. They cannot be tied to one local place to take care of this food distribution problem. So what do they do? Well, rather than doing two things poorly, they delegate. They choose seven men to take over the the, the job of serving so that they can do both things really well. Now the apostles can pray and teach the word of God, and these seven men that were chosen can focus on the serving. You see, this is an elevation of prayer and servant. It's not the apostles trying to get out of doing the work of the the food uh, program, the food pantry. Rather, they say both of these things, prayer and serving, are so important that we need people to be able to give their full attention to both. This is a classic teamwork makes the dream work kind of thing. So prayer and service, both very important to the early church. But why? 
What is it about these two things that's so powerful? What is it that they discovered could be accomplished when you pair together prayer and service? Let me try and answer that for you with one simple word. Synergy. Synergy. Do you know what synergy is? It's the idea that when you combine two things, you get an infinitely better product. For example, I love a medium-rare filet, right? My goodness, there's nothing better than a well-seasoned, medium-rare filet. I mean, it just melts in your mouth. But you wrap that sucker in bacon, and people go crazy because filet and bacon takes it to a whole nother level. Or, or what about Oreos? I'm a big fan of Oreos. I love Oreos, but sometimes they can be a little dry, and, and you know, your mouth can get like, kind of clogged up. Well, what happens when you add a glass of milk? Man, it's like a spiritual experience when you have Oreos and milk together. Like when you add two things that are really good together, it makes an infinitely better uh, product. In fact, in his book, Entree Leadership, Dave Ramsey talks about the power of unity and synergy and what can be accomplished when two things work together towards a common goal. Here's what he writes. He says, one of the largest, strongest horses in the world is the Belgian draft horse. Competitions are held to see which horse can pull the most, and one Belgian horse can pull 8,000 pounds. He says, the weird thing is, if you put the two Belgian horses in the harness, who are actually strangers to each other, together they can pull twenty to 24,000 pounds. Two horses can pull not twice as much as one, but three times as much as one. This example represents the power of synergy. However, if two horses are raised and trained together, they actually learn to pull and think as one, and the trained, and therefore the unified pair, can pull 30 to 32,000 pounds, almost four times as much as a single horse. Look, the combination of two really good things almost always makes a better product. And when we devote our lives to prayer and to service, we create cosmic synergy that can change the world. And we'll see more and more people come to know Jesus because we become others focused in our prayer and our service creates synergy to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we know these two things create synergy, but how do they create synergy? And what's so important about these two things? That's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time, is try and answer the how they create synergy. First thing you need to know is that it's how Jesus taught us to pray. It creates synergy because it's how Jesus taught us to pray. One day in Jesus' life, he was preaching and teaching and he was talking to his disciples and a crowd of people. And one of them raises their hand and Jesus says, yep, question right there. And he says, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus, you know this story. This is what he said in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, Trey, you're getting a little crazy. I see the prayer part in there, but I didn't see Jesus mention anything about service. How, how did Jesus teach us to pray with prayer and service? Where, where's the service? Let me ask you a question. When you pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what do you think you're actually praying for? What is it that you're actually asking God to do? Are you just asking God to magically flip his, snap his fingers and make everything the way it should be? Is that what you're asking him to do? Or, or are you doing something more? 
When you say, God, I want to see earth as it is in heaven, are you praying for God to use you to bring about his will? See, I think that's more likely what we actually mean when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not for him to just magically snap his finger, but for God to actually use us to bring his will about, to bring about the kingdom of God and make it a reality on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to use us. In fact, he has commissioned us in his word and he tells us that we will be the vehicles, the the agents by which his will is accomplished to bring more people to him. God often accomplishes his will through human obedience. And so when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, use us to accomplish this will. And usually that happens through the form of service. What's it mean to make the kingdom of God a reality on earth as it is in heaven? You ever, you remember when we used to be able to go to the movies? Like a a year ago, we used to be able to go to the movies. Man, I love going to the movies. You get a big old uh, bucket of popcorn and a big old Coke. The one thing I don't like about the movies all that much is previews though, because usually I eat through that bucket of popcorn and that Coke before I actually get to the movie. But every once in a while, when you're watching the previews, there's there's a preview that that you think, whoa, this, this looks pretty good. You know, like Liam Neeson comes on the screen or Denzel Washington, and they're kicking butt and taking names, and, and my jaw is dropped, and I'm elbowing my wife saying, honey, we got to go see that. Why do I get so excited to see that movie of the preview? Because the preview has done its job, and it's created a hunger, a desire in me to go see it and experience the full thing. If you want to make the kingdom of God a reality on earth as it is in heaven, that's how we live our lives. We live our lives, we, we love those around us in such a way that our neighbors, our friends, they're elbowing their spouse, their friend, they're saying, man, I want to see the world where they come from because something is different about them. If we do our job well, people will notice that the things around us and the things in our life are different because we're working and serving to make the kingdom of God on earth uh, 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 like it is in heaven. That's what we're doing. We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven is a place that is filled with the presence and the love of God. And when we go into prayer, we're entering the presence of God. And when we love and serve, we're sharing the love of God with the world. We are literally bringing the presence and love of God to this world when we pray and serve. So it's how Jesus taught us to pray. That's why it's so powerful. Number two, though, it's how we thank Jesus for his love. Yeah, it's how he taught us, but it's also a way for us to thank Jesus for his love. Let's do a little thought experiment for a moment. Uh, Let's pretend that you're an atheist. Maybe you are an atheist watching this. If you don't believe in God, and if you believe that we're just, you know, happenstance, and we just came about from a big bang, why in the world would you ever serve somebody? Why would you ever care about their soul? Why would you ever care about their emotions or their feelings? I mean, you just came from nothing, so what's the big deal if we're mean to this person or if we step on this person to get ahead in life? What's the big deal? Like natural selection says that's what we should do. We shouldn't look out for the needs of others. We should look out for our own needs. Why in the world would you ever serve somebody if you don't believe in God? If you're not a Jesus follower and you follow another religion, you have a reason to serve, and usually it's because you want to achieve your salvation. You want to do good things so that good things come back to you in return. If I obey and if I serve people and treat people nice, well, then people will treat me nice. But Christianity is a whole different story. Tim Keller says that Christianity is the only religion where your identity is received, not achieved received, not achieved. Those are two very important terms. 
In other words, we don't do anything to earn God's love. We don't do anything to earn God's salvation or forgiveness or mercy that he's given to us. It is a gift that he has given us. It is something that we receive. And when you receive something, you respond in gratitude. And the way we respond in gratitude is by serving. Look, we, don't, we serve to thank God. We don't serve to earn or persuade God. Our service and our prayer, therefore, becomes a way to thank God and give gratitude for what God has done for us and how he has rescued us from sin and evil. And then when you add prayer into this, we're serving to thank God, and then you add prayer into this, it takes our gratitude to the next level because our prayers are influenced by our serving. And we're actually thinking about those people that we are serving or want to serve, and we become praying for them. And our prayer becomes others-focused. It takes the focus off of us and focus on to others. And understand, this takes help from God. When we're praying to serve, we're, we're asking God to give us the ability to, to give us the love and the patience so that we can serve them. It's almost like a double reliance on God. We need him to give us this gift so that we can thank him, but then we also need the power so that we can serve him. I love what Bob Goff says when he says, if every one of your prayers came true, would it change anybody else's life but your own? That's a convicting question right there. How often are our prayers so me-focused that we forget to pray about others? But when we're focused on praying and serving, our prayer life changes to be focused on others as well. And once you realize what God has done for you on the cross, your life changes. Your life totally changes because you become others-focused because you want others to experience that same hope, healing, and restoration that you have experienced in Jesus. So it's how we thank Jesus for his love. Number three, though, the reason it creates synergy, it's how we join others in their struggle. It's how we join others in their struggle. I know you've experienced this scenario before. You're on Facebook, you're, you're scrolling through your newsfeed, and somebody posts up there, man, I could really use some prayers. Or you're in the lobby at church or you run into somebody at the grocery store and they say, man, life is hard. I could really use your prayer. And how do we usually respond? I'll pray for you. And that's it. That's the prayer. Rarely do we ever actually pray for them right there. And rarely do we ever make a note in our phone to interrupt our day later to actually pray for them. Like We don't want to be those kinds of people. We don't want to be the kind of person that says, I'll pray for you. And then nothing happens. If, you're gonna tell, if you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, you better pray for them. See, here's what happens. Prayer often becomes an excuse to not get our hands dirty. Instead of saying, I'll pray for you and leaving it at that, we should say, I'll pray for you and actually pray for them or make a note to pray for them later, followed immediately by the words, how can I help? I'll pray for you. How can I help? See, this is prayer and service working together. This is prayer and service creating synergy. This forces us to get up off the couch, off of our rear ends, and actually help and serve somebody rather than doing the easy thing and just saying a few words in our our prayer closet or writing a few words down. This forces us to take action. And what happens is we actually end up being the answer to our prayer. We pray, God, I pray that you would bring them finances or I pray that you would give them food and resources that they need. And then when you say, how can I help? you realize I can give them the finances or I can give them the food and the resources that they need to, lead, to, to live. I mean, imagine, go back to that, that early church scene that we looked at at the beginning. If they came and they, 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 they complained about the widows being treated unfairly and the apostles just said, yeah, we should pray about that. We should, we should pray about it. What would have happened? 
you would have had a, a divisive split that took place because they're like, no, you're going to actually take care of my widows. You can't talk this big game about how much Jesus loves people and then not care about serving and loving them. No, they said, yeah, we'll pray about it, but we're also going to do something about it. I'll pray for you. How can I help? See, prayer is foundational, yes, and nobody likes to come out against prayer, but usually we use it as an excuse. Prayer is foundational, yes, but God almost always moves people to do something. Remember the, the New Testament writer we looked at the beginning, James? Well, he has something to say to this as well. James chapter 2, verse 15. He says, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. Well, what good does, does that do? Famous theologian Augustine once said, pray as though everything depends on God, but work as though everything depends on you. Look, when we get this right, when we see the synergy of prayer and service coming together, we literally bring our prayer life to life. We literally become the answer to our own prayers. God, I pray for that person that finances would, would, would be better. By the way, here's a couple extra bucks so that you can get through the month. We literally bring our prayer life to life. See, this is a foundational principle that we have to have if we want to reach others and if we want to help people find and follow Jesus. We have to have the synergy that is created by prayer and service. But there's one last reason. There's one last reason, and perhaps it's the most important reason, as to how synergy is created through prayer and service. Here it is. It's, it's how we imitate the way of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus prayed and served all the way up until his death? Even on the cross, we see him talking to God, and the cross was the image of service and sacrifice. But let's go back just one night before. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's down on his knees, and he is intensely praying to God. In fact, it says he's praying so intensely that he's bleeding. Aren't you glad that's not one of our prayer combos for this series, Praying and Bleeding? That'd be, that'd be, a, weird, that'd be a weird series uh, title. Yeah, I'm glad we're not doing that. But, but Jesus, he's praying so intensely that he's praying and he's bleeding. And here are the words that he actually prays to God. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, he went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, My Father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Here's where we come full circle. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Friends, this is the very image of prayer and serving. Jesus is in the garden knowing full well what awaits him the very next day. And he's praying through this service that he's going to do. He's saying, God, this is going to be painful. God, this is going to hurt. God, I am going to suffer for this. And the only way I can get through it is if I rely on you in prayer. God, I'm willing to do it. I want your will to be done, but God, I need you to pull me through it. See, Jesus is combining here both prayer and service because the next day he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten and flogged, and he's going to go to a cross and suffer a horrible, horrible death. Why? To serve you and me so that you and I could have grace and forgiveness and mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus serves us. And it started with prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And understand, as we imitate this way of Jesus, if you're going to serve people and you're going to pray for people, understand that there's going to be an element of suffering. Serving will always cost you something. 
And if you're not ready for that, then you may not be ready to follow Jesus. But that is the way of Jesus. That's how we imitate the way of Jesus because in the garden and on the cross, we see Jesus praying and serving. And that's what he calls us to imitate him as well, to be more like him. Friends, prayer and service, it is vital, absolutely vital to your personal walk with Jesus but it's vital to the growth of the church, the big church. It's vital to the growth of seeing more people know who Jesus is. It's vital to helping more people experience the hope and restoration, uh, not only in this life, but in the life to come that only Jesus can provide. In fact, that's exactly what happened for the early church. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. (laughs) Friends, we say all the time that we want to help people find and follow Jesus. Here's your chance. This is your chance. Uh, Do what only you can do. How is it that you can serve somebody that nobody else can do? That's what the apostles realized. They they brought more people into the mission of God when they brought those seven men in because they knew that they had to focus on serving. When we do this together, when every single one of us says, I'm going to focus on prayer and serving, I'm going to serve in ways that only I can serve, we will create synergy and we will see a cosmic move of God as we see more and more people come to know who Jesus is. Friends, I want the growing pains that is associated with multiplication of believers. I want to see more people come to know Jesus. And if it creates a havoc and if it creates hardship and things and obstacles that we have to come over, that's okay because it means more people know who Jesus is and we we can do this. We can help more people find and follow Jesus when we use prayer and service to create cosmic synergy that only God can create. And when we watch him move and see the incredible things that he will do, friends, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's serve. And let's see the synergy that the two create together. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, We want to see more people follow you. And God, probably one of the most effective ways, according to your word, that we can do that is to partner our prayer with our service. And to see you move through both of those actions to create synergy unlike anything we've ever seen before. God, help us to pray and serve. Help us to realize that it's how you taught us to pray that it's how we can thank you for what you've done. It's how we can join others and help them, but most importantly, God, it's how we imitate you. Because on the cross, and right before the cross, you prayed, and you prayed that God's will would be done, and then you served. You sacrificed your life so that I could live, so that everybody else could live if they follow you. We're so thankful for that. Give us the strength the endurance and the boldness to be men and women of prayer and service. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray.